When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode of Conspiracy Unlimited, tracking Bigfoot in the Keystone State. The hair on the back of my neck really stood up. I'm there alone. I'm there alone a lot, so I'm not really afraid to be in the woods alone. But for some reason this day, I was terrified. Uh, Really, fight or flight uh, kicked in and, and... it would have been flight except my knees were locked i was i was that afraid for for no particular reason and i did get the uh, sort of skunky dead animal kind of smell rolled in and knowing as much as i do about bigfoot stuff i really thought well this is this is going to be a sighting here i'm about to about to have a sighting this podcast is brought to you by international star choosing a gift for someone special can be a daunting task Whether it's a birthday, Mother's Day, Father's Day anniversary, or any other big day, you want a gift that's unique and perfect for that person who already has everything. International Star Registry can help. They've been providing unique gift ideas for over 25 years. International Star Registry lets you name an actual star in the sky after your special someone. It's the most unique gift of all time. Name a star after someone you care about. They'll remember it forever and never forget your thoughtfulness. The address is getarealstar.com. Getarealstar.com to give someone the gift of a real star in the sky. That address again, getarealstar.com. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Hey, how are you? I have a question before I get rolling with this episode. Now, I have to say up front, I am not a cat person. I've always been more of a dog person. Now, we had a cat when I was very, very young, maybe five or six. And I was afraid of this cat, Gidget. We later learned that Gidget was not an appropriate name since she was a he. Uh, Yes, I still use gender-specific pronouns. Quick, call the thought police. Anyway, I, w- I was afraid of this cat. Uh, Gidget would uh, would hide and wait for me in our basement, in our dark basement. My, and what would happen is my mother, from time to time, would send me downstairs to get something it, for dinner, usually uh, a potato or a turnip, where we kept them. And the cat would be in the laundry room, on the ironing board, in the dark, waiting for me. And as I walked by, Gidget would either pounce on my back or swat at me. Remember, I'm five. It's dark. Uh, and I, so I did not like this cat. Of course, I cried when he was gone. Uh, so that's the backstory. Now, I'm looking for three cats. 
I need three cats. Uh, let me explain. The mighty Aphrodite, my lovely bride, has been uh, busy the last five years or so building a house in Greece. Uh, this is a house that my late father-in-law started a decade ago. Uh, and it's nearing completion. Just about done. And the house has some property, about seven acres with an olive grove, and we're looking for cats. We've been told uh, three would be ideal, a good number, to roam the property and keep the mice and the rats and the vipers, uh, the snakes, away. Uh, So the question is, my question to you, which breed of cat is the best mouser? Is it the Maine Coon or the Siamese or the Himalayan or the Persian or the Scott Fold or the American Shorthair or the British Shorthair? You tell me. Rather, email me, if you're so inclined, at richardserrett one at gmail.com. Never been a cat person, but I hate rats, snakes, and mice, so I may learn to love cats very, very soon. Now, moving on from mice and rats and snakes and cats to something much, much bigger. Bigfoot. The terms uh, Bigfoot and Sasquatch haven't uh, been around that long. They've only been part of our popular vocabulary since, I think, around the 1950s. But people have been seeing something large and bipedal and hairy for as long as we've been keeping record. According to the myths of early man and medieval manuscripts and earliest newspapers, these creatures make appearances by various names, but their described appearance and behavior seem to suggest Bigfoot has been hiding in the woods beside us for as long as we can remember. Old newspaper articles call the creature wild men, gorillas, hairy giants, ape men, and spooks. But the reports describe large, hairy, man-like creatures crying out with unearthly, eerie howls and leaving strange footprints in their wake. Collecting newspaper reports from the 1830s through the 1920s, the articles in my next guest's book show that Bigfoot is not new, nor is it a phenomenon confined to the Northwest United States and Canada. Bigfoot creatures seem to have been roaming Pennsylvania for as long as anyone can remember. Timothy Renner has written articles for several publications, including Morbid Curiosity, Weird USA, and Weird Pennsylvania. His illustrations have appeared in fanzines, comics, magazines, books, and on many record covers. He plays and sings folk music with his band Stone Breath. To date, they've released 12 full-length albums and multiple EPs. Timothy has studied various paranormal phenomena centered in south-central Pennsylvania, with a particular focus on the legend of Toad Road and Seven Gates of Hell. His latest book is Bigfoot in Pennsylvania, a history of wild men, gorillas, and other hairy monsters in the Keystone State. Timothy Renner, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? I'm doing good. You know, most of us think of uh, Sasquatch, we think of the Pacific Northwest, but we don't always think of Pennsylvania. But there are enough sightings going back quite a ways. You actually filled a volume, a complete volume, just on uh, Bigfoot in, in Pennsylvania. First of all, how do you start out researching something like this? Well, for me, it was after my first book, which just concentrated on three counties, uh, York County, where I live, and then the county to the east and to the west of us, me, uh, rather, Lancaster and Adams County. 
And I was just trying to research as, as much kind of strange sightings uh, from UFOs to Bigfoot to other cryptids that I could find. And I found so many Bigfoot sightings just in that little area. I found between 50 and 100 sightings for my first book that it just really floored me. And that got me looking at the rest of the state. I found a bunch of historical reports for the first book that dated back to the 1800s. So I thought, well, maybe maybe I'll do a whole a book for the whole country on that. But it, very quickly into researching that, I, I figured I'd, I'd be able to have enough for the one book just for Pennsylvania, which was the case. And are there clusters of sightings or are they spread throughout the Keystone State? They're spread pretty well throughout the state. There tends to be, in modern times, there tends to be more kind of hot spots, uh, Micho Forest and out Chestnut Ridge out in the western part of the state uh, tend to be a little bit hotter than other areas. But in the historical sightings, they're, they're really all over the place. And would you physically go to the newspaper? I mean, not all, you know, some of the smaller papers, they may not be online. They're archives. Do you actually have to go uh, to the archives and get out the old microfiche? Or how, how did you how did you accumulate all of these records dating back to the 1820s and 30s? Where possible, I, I go to historical societies and libraries and, and actually go to the, the microfilm and print, print out the... Uh, the articles old school style. Um, there's a lot of uh, a lot of newspaper arco- uh, rather archives online. I do that as well um, for the California book or the West Coast book rather. I could obviously I couldn't. Uh, I live on the East Coast, so I couldn't uh, go to uh, libraries and and universities and historical societies out there. So that was more uh, online. But uh, the Pennsylvania book, I I dug in and where possible, I I visited historical societies and and got every article I could. And how was the tone in terms of the reportage? Was it sensational? Was it just sort of matter of fact? Maybe give me a, for instance, maybe one of your uh, your favorite uh, reports dating back to, let's say, the 1830s or or what have have you, just to give us a sense of the the tone and the reporting. Okay, let me... uh um, let me grab one here. Here we go, 1838. So this is 1838, and uh, this is from the Baltimore Sun, but it's a report about Pennsylvania. It says, something like a year ago, there was considerable talk about a strange animal said to have been seen in the southwestern part of Bridgewater. Although the individual who described the animal persisted in declaring that he had seen it, The story was heard and looked upon more as food for the marvelous than as having any foundation in fact. He represented the animal, as we have it, through a third person, as having the appearance of a child seven or eight years old, though somewhat slimmer, and covered entirely with hair. He saw it while picking berries, walking toward him erect, and whistling like a person. After recovering from the fright, he is said to have pursued it, but it ran off with such speed, whistling as it went, that he could not catch it. He said it ran like the devil and continued to call it after that name. The same or a similar looking animal was seen in Silver Lake Township about two weeks since by a boy of some 16 years old. We had the story from the father of the boy in his absence and afterwards from the boy himself. The boy was sent to work in the backwoods near New York State Line. He took with him a gun and was told by his father to shoot anything he might see except persons or cattle. After working a while, he heard some person, a little brother as he supposed, coming towards him, whistling quite merrily. It came within a few rods of him and stopped. He said it looked like a human being, covered with black hair, about the size of his brother, who was six or seven years old. 
His gun was some little distance off, and he was very much frightened. He, however, got his gun and shot at the animal, but trembled so that he could not hold still. The strange animal, just as his gun went off, stepped behind a tree and then ran off whistling as before. The father said the boy came home very much frightened when thinking about the animal he had seen. He would use his own words to burst out a-crying. Making due allowance for frights and consequent exaggeration, an animal of singular appearance has doubtless been seen. What is, what it is, or whence it came, is of course yet a mystery. From the description, if an orangutan were known to be in this country, we might think this to be it. As no such animal is known, without batching for the correctness of the story, we shall leave the reader to conjecture, or guess for himself, what it is. For the sake of a name, however, we will call the strange animal the Whistling Wild Boy of the Woods. <laughs> the Whistling Wild Boy of the Woods, uh, which is interesting because uh, we didn't have—I mean, when did we start referring to these hairy bipedals as Bigfoot or Sasquatch? It doesn't go back that far, does it? It doesn't. Uh, Sasquatch predates Bigfoot, and that's not—I um, think that's a sort of a anglicized version of a, of a uh, Native American word. And that dates back to the 20s or 30s, I believe. Bigfoot was in the 1950s. It was coined by a newspaper. Neither of those terms really were in popular usage until probably 1970 or so, though. So wild man, uh, ape man, those were typical uh, descriptors or, or names that were, that were used by uh, the locals. Is that right? Yeah. In the 1800s. Uh, you have to understand that this is before the what we, we call it the discovery of the mountain gorilla. Really, it was the it, the mountain gorilla became known to the to the West, to Europeans right. and, and Americans. The Africans obviously knew about it, but uh, before the mountain gorilla became known to the West, we didn't really have a name for something that walked upright and was covered with hair. So, what would they call it? They would call it a, a wild man. And uh, this is also, you can read in some of the articles, it's kind of a misunderstanding of how the theory of evolution works. Uh, you know, Darwin was pretty new around this time, and they didn't quite get it. There was a, an idea that if someone walked off and, into the woods and walked away from society, that they would uh, grow hair all over their body <laughs> like an animal and, and, and become wild. Um, right around 1890, the zoos and, and menageries and so forth start getting gorillas, a, few, a very few of them. And uh, photographs of gorillas start appearing in books and newspapers and stuff. So right then you see a turn where people stop reporting wild men. Not all the time, but but uh, wild men becomes less in use. And then people start reporting gorillas at that point. And in, in this account from the Baltimore Sun, this whistling wild man. Have you come across that before in descriptions or sightings of, of Bigfoot? People describe them as whistling. I have not. Well, it's really interesting because they're describing, a, if you notice, a very short creature, a very small creature in both accounts. And we have something in Pennsylvania that's called the Albatwitch that is reported to whistle. And it is a, they call it a little Bigfoot. It's a, it's a small creature, about three to four feet tall. It seems like it's a different thing. Than, it's not a, in other words, it's not a young Bigfoot because they're, they're never seen with adults. So um, that probably confirms to more to an, an albatwitch sighting. An albatwitch. I'm not familiar with that. Um, now, abs actual, you know, sort of full-grown, not full-grown, but full-size, you know, uh, seven, eight, nine-foot uh, tall creatures. Uh, are, are there are there numerous stories of those as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah. For, in, for the, uh, the vast majority, I think I might have one or two of these, what they call little people or, or albatwitch 
reports. The vast majority of everything I collected is uh, either man-sized or going up to even 12 feet. I think some of the reports have them. Any accounts of uh, these creatures uh, violently attacking or being aggressive with humans? Yeah, quite a few, actually. Um, there was a, what they called a, a uh, like a series of gorilla sightings. Now, this is in Pennsylvania in the, in the winter in 1920, 1921. So a lot of people, and even the newspapers at the time said, oh, these are escaped circus gorillas. But first of all, there weren't that many gorillas in the States at this time. The, the ones that were here were re- reported on as if they were celebrities. They knew their names. They, uh, they reported them in, in the paper. Uh, the New York Zoo had one. I think Barnum had one. And not many other people could afford them. They cost, they were extremely expensive, something in the range of a half million to a million dollars. Um, Is that right? Wow. In, in, in today's money, you know. And if one had gone missing, Timothy, it would have made the front page. Absolutely. They would have made the front page. And these are tropical animals. They're not going to be able to live for months and months and months. as the case of this uh it's kind of a flap of gorilla sightings in the, in the winter in Pennsylvania. So it, you know, it have to be living off the land and living in, in frigid temperatures. And uh, it just seems, well, it's, it's completely impossible really right, for a right. tropical animal to, to have done that. So you mentioned uh, that, uh, well, can you, can you give me an, an example of uh, a report where a, a Bigfoot aggressively uh, attacked or interacted with a human? Yes, this is this is actually my my favorite all-time uh, report that I've collected so far, um, historical reports. This is from 1920. It is in Snyder County in Pennsylvania. The appearance of a man-ape or gorilla in the mountains of Snyder County has caused great excitement among the residents of that section where the animal was seen. The big ape was first seen three weeks weeks ago by Samuel Bullig of Miser, a small town in Snyder County. The animal is supposed to be one that escaped some time ago from a carnival and which has since been living in the mountains of that section of the state. Samuel and Margaret Bullig, the children of Charles Bullig, were gathering kindling wood one night in November with the light of a search lamp when a huge animal about seven feet tall and that stood up like a man was discovered by the children within the circle of light. It looked to them like a huge monkey and when discovered dropped on all fours and ambled away, soon disappearing in the darkness. A week later, the same animal was discovered in a cornfield on the Bullig farm, which is at the foot of the mountain. Samuel procured a 32 caliber rifle and took a shot at the huge man creature, evidently wounding it as it fell sh- at the shot, rolling over several times on the ground. The boy and his father trailed the wounded ape some distance by the blood, but were unable to overtake it, and at length gave up pursuit. On Monday night of the present week, the strange creature made its third appearance at the Bullig farm. Charles Bullig was engaged in chopping wood by the light of a lantern when the ape approached near enough to be seen. The son ran to the house and procured the rifle, but before he could shoot the gorilla, it viciously attacked him, knocking him down and breaking his arm, and was finally driven away by the father. The lad lay on the ground in an unconscious condition. He was taken to the house and soon recovered his senses, and after it was found, he was not seriously injured. He suffered much from shock, but is expected to be fully recovered in a short time. Drop to all fours at one time, at one point. That, uh, is unusual, is it not? Uh, with, with Bigfoot? Do we have other stories of Bigfoot dropping to all fours and sort of ambling away? I've actually collected a, a lot of reports, both modern and historical, where they seem to be as comfortable dropping to all fours as they are walking upright. In fact, um, from many reports, it seems like when they really want to go fast, they'll drop to all fours. 
Oh, really? I'm learning. So I have to tell you, I'm learning a lot. <laughs> I thought I knew something, a little something about Bigfoot, but apparently not. I didn't know they dropped to all fours. Uh, what about female, uh, female uh, uh, Bigfoot? Um, seems to me there's a story in there about uh, a wild woman uh, stealing human babies or something to that effect. Uh, yeah, she 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 tries to make off with a a uh, a child. Um, let me find that one. Um, I'm, I'm, I will take any any Bigfoot carrying off any humans. <laughs> Well, this is this is a case that that sounds like um, it sounds like a missing four one one report. Um, if you're familiar with David Polite, absolutely, I am missing four one one. So this is uh, from 1888, the Bradford era, Bradford, Pennsylvania. And Friday forenoon, Florence Hughes, the two-year-old daughter of John Hughes, an employee of the Bradford Oil Company, who lives on the Rutherford farm, was playing in that vicinity with two other children. The little one's playmates left her alone while they were seeking flowers in a clump of underbrush nearby. When they returned, she was gone. Mr. and Mrs. Hughes were immediately notified and instituted a rigorous search, but could find no trace of the missing one. All day long, the fruitless search was kept up. In the evening, a crowd started out from this city, swelling the number in the searching party to over 100. Every nook and spot in the woods and fields within a radius of one mile was examined closely, but without success. The lost babe could not be found. The parents are nearly distracted and have keen sympathy of many friends in their trouble. It is believed the child has been kidnapped and stolen away. The era contained an account of a supposed wild being a few days ago, who has been seen in the locality of late, and it is now feared the loathsome wretch has spirited the child away to his lair in the hills. It goes on to uh, report later in the day, uh, no, there's no trace of the little one. Florence, the little two-year-old child of John Hughes, who has been missing from home since 10 o'clock this morning, has not been found, although there were at least 200 men and boys with torches and lanterns scouring the woods all the evening. So far, the search has been fruitless. It is thought that she may have been carried away by the wild man who has been seen in this by several in this locality recently. The parents are nearly frantic and earnestly request assistance to continue the search tomorrow morning. And then uh, it follows on. It says the search was abandoned. A party consisting of J.P. Taylor, Thomas Mills, and two members of the era staff visited Rutherford District at 2 o'clock this morning and learned that no trace had been found of the lost child. A heavy fog hung over the woods, and the search was abandoned until daylight. Hmm. So that's a very kind of creepy. I'll say. I'll say. Um, did it ever get to the point in any of these towns that had, uh, you know, Bigfoot wild man sightings that, you know, there was a kind of a, not hysteria, but the townsfolk kind of demanded some sort of action be taken, some organized hunts? Uh, Dur- during that, uh, like I said, the, the guerrilla sort of flap of, of 1921. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1920, there were um, several calls for for uh, something to be done, and they were trying to hunt it down. Uh, they sent out various search parties, and uh, you know, never were able to uh, to actually capture it or or or, uh, or kill the animal. But uh, and, but there were uh, there there were people demanding, you know, authorities to to uh, come out and and help. And did the authorities, local authorities, mayor Reeves, county officials, did they ever go on the record to talk about it? There are a couple instances where uh, police saw the creatures and and uh, gave chase even, but um, 
you know, as far as, as getting the, the police records from those, in you know, those times, I didn't actually attempt to do that. That would be interesting. I might, I might go after this. And how far forward do these, does your history go, uh, up into the, what, 1940s or how far, how far forward? I stopped in the 1920s for uh, the, the Pennsylvania book. Um, I'll go from there for a future volume probably, but uh, you cannot just reprint newspaper articles uh, wholesale after 1922. Oh, is that, oh, because they're not in the public domain. Exactly. Oh, I see. Okay. So you had enough <laughs> to fill a volume just up until the 1920s. That's remarkable. Yeah. The, the Pennsylvania one was surprising to me, I, I and I thought I would find far more in the Western states, I thought I'd surely have enough to do a book for each California, Oregon, and Washington, but um, I did not. And I I put that down to probably population. There were probably less people out there in the 1800s to see the creatures, and also the number of newspapers. Pennsylvania had uh, far more newspapers than uh, than anywhere out west. Well, Timothy, I don't know what they're feeding these enormous, hairy, bipedal creatures in Pennsylvania, but whatever they're eating, gives them to me. I'm only five foot eight. But seriously, you know, our bodies deserve the best. But how do we choose the very best nutritional supplements or even know what's in them? Life Extension has been helping people stay healthy for over 35 years. Just like with the foods you eat, the quality, purity, and potency of the ingredients in your nutritional supplements really do matter. Life Extension Supplements set the gold standard for supporting weight loss, heart, brain, bone, joint, eye, skin, sexual health, and so much more. Their formulas are based on the latest scientific research and clinically validated dosages. That's one reason why 98% of their customers recommend Life Extension to their friends and family. Every Life Extension product is backed by a total satisfaction guarantee. The bottom line? Life Extension is the brand you can trust with your health. Check out Life Extension products with special savings. Visit SmartClickIdea.com. That's SmartClickIdea.com. SmartClickIdea.com. The truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Then, it is violently opposed. Finally, it is accepted as self-evident. Let me just read that again, what that means. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Timothy Renner is with me, the author of Bigfoot in Pennsylvania, a history of wild men, gorillas, and other hairy monsters in the Keystone State. I don't know if this is something that you would cover in, in your book, but the, the local indigenous people, I'm not sure what tribes or, or Indian nations occupied uh, Pennsylvania, but they surely must have stories going you know, way, way back further than that. D- did you speak with any of them? I did not, but but yeah, you're absolutely correct. Um, the problem is uh, the the Native Americans on the East Coast were, uh, at least in Pennsylvania, things had gotten pretty fractured as far as the, the different tribes. A lot of the languages were lost. For instance, the Susquehannock Indians, we know they had pictures of these albatwitch creatures on their shield, but we don't know what their name was for these creatures. Albatwitch is a, a, a German name. It comes mm. from Pennsylvania Dutch. So we don't know what they called them, but we, we do know they, they pictured them on their war shields. Um, but, oh, oh, that's uh, so, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's the folklore is there, but uh, we just don't have a lot of, of uh, the original uh, language and so forth. Timothy, I'm getting I'm kind of getting the sense. I mean, you're you're right there in Sasquatch Central, it sounds like. 
Um, Pennsylvania has a, a good deal of reports. Uh, to be interested in this stuff, uh, Pennsylvania is a, a good place to live. Have you have you gone out on a field um, investigation yourself? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Tell me about it. Well, I mean, it depends which one you ask. The uh, well, the one I that uh, I guess that had maybe the most interesting results. There, there is an area which uh, we we don't publicize. Um, we call it Site Seven just because uh, it's private property, and we we don't want people going out there. That has been very very strange. Uh, I got reports of what someone said was hobos in the woods that were throwing stones at people, and I asked this guy. Uh, what do you mean hobos? I said, have you ever seen these hobos? He said, no, but if you drive up there at night, they'll, they'll throw stones at your, uh, at your car. So, uh, that was a hint to me because that's the stone yes. throwing a, a, a Bigfoot behavior. That I did as know. Well as, I'm sorry. <laughs> I said that I did know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there were other reports in the area and, uh, strange reports of a family of albinos that lived in, in, in a shack along this area, which is just an odd detail. Mm. So we went out there and we, indeed we had a stone thrown uh, at us that hit my Jeep. Um, but then we started seeing even stranger things, including lights in the woods that kind of change shape and, and move, but, uh, stay within a, a certain radius of it. Uh, one night we were out there and, and we saw, lights in the woods that ended up being flashlights and it was uh, just a couple of teenagers came out of the woods and we kind of asked them like what, what are you guys doing here and like oh we just you know they just said we just want to go for a walk i said well did you see anything weird back there and they said well there was a drone you were flying over our heads and we had no drone there's no so that was the biggest sort of like what the heck are mm. they talking about so it's a it's a very strange area. There seems to be more going on there than than Bigfoot, but uh, that seems to be the case with a lot of uh, Pennsylvania. We get a lot of, uh, for instance, UFO reports in conjunction with Bigfoot here. Sounds like Skinwalker Ranch uh, East Coast. It could be something like that. It's it's very very strange. Well, what do you what do you make of the the connection between? The purported connection between UFOs and and Bigfoot, uh, because you know, quite frankly, Timothy, that, that for a lot of people, you you sort of you lose the room when you sort of make that connection. You could say, well, on the one hand, there could be some unrecognized hominid that we we simply haven't uh, you know like much like the uh, the the mountain gorilla we simply haven't you know identified it and classified it and so forth. But once you bring in uh, you know the woo woo world of UFOs and so forth. You, you tend to lose a lot of people. What do you think? Well, I, I can only say that whatever conditions seem to be favorable for Bigfoot also seem to be favorable for UFOs. So I'm not saying that Bigfoot rides around in UFOs or aliens are dropping off Bigfoot creatures here or anything like that. I, I, I can only say that the conditions for both uh, seem to be favorable. So where you get one, you tend to get the other. As far as it being a I, I do think it's a natural creature. It leaves footprints. Um, it leaves hair behind. It it leaves an impact. So it is a, a real creature. It's not like any other natural creature we know, though. Um, it's just there's too many question marks around Bigfoot. They're, they can't get them on trail cams. Um, you know, most pictures, if someone gets them, turn up blurry or inconclusive. The uh, several hunters have claimed to kill them. They, the bodies always disappear. Presumably, the creatures take them, or sometimes there'll be you know a mysterious uh, black vehicle, you know, presumably government, either a helicopter or a van or something seen in the area. 
uh, DNA tests seem to always come back inconclusive. There's a very, very weird kind of aura that, that surrounds this phenomenon. So, uh, in your in your field investigations, have you ever uh, heard a Bigfoot out in the woods, or or suspected it was a Bigfoot? I've heard, yeah, the, 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 what they call the four hundred pound owl, <laughs> the, the <laughs> owl that's just way too big to be an owl. That's that's sort of making an owl sound that like doesn't quite sound right. Um, I didn't see a creature make it, so you know I'm, I'm not sure. But that again, that's often attributed to Bigfoot. I've uh, Left in, in that Site 7 area, we've left recorders out overnight, and we've gotten some very, very strange uh, kind of speech uh, that, you know, it wasn't English, it, but it sounds like some kind of uh, someone attempting to talk. Like uh, my, uh, my research partner says it sounds like deaf people trying to talk. Um, this is very, very odd. Interesting. Kind of wow. Uh, let's have a listen to this. What are we going to hear exactly? So this was a recorder I left on site. Uh, This would have been between probably uh, 3 and 3.30 in the morning. And there is – there's roads nearby. I'm not sure if you can hear – every now and then you'll hear some traffic noise in this. But uh, I don't think you'll hear traffic noise in this this actual segment. Um, But there are no houses nearby. So there, there shouldn't be anyone in the area. Uh, just, just you know, walking around and so forth. So whatever this is, whatever this strange speech is, was captured at you know between three and four in the morning. All right, let's have a listen. Well, I I don't know what to make of that, Timothy. Now, have you had that analyzed? Uh, because I'm, I'm guessing, that, you know, s- someone who's proficient in this area that has expertise would be able to rule out a human voice or I'm guessing. I don't know. No, I, I haven't uh, been able to, to locate anybody to do that. Um, I work with audio a little bit and like that's cleaned up as best as I can get it. I, I usually work with music, though, and I know right. it's, a, it's a sort of a different set of tools to clean up uh field audio as it is for music so that's sort of the best i could do cleaning it up have you shared that with other bigfoot uh, experts yeah and uh, a lot of people are you know no one wants to commit and i understand that i i really can't commit i don't know what it is i can't say that that was a bigfoot that made that noise it certainly could have been a, a person that kind of roamed into the area uh, i just it's hard to decipher what it is or to come up with a reason why any human would have been there. So, um, but, uh, I understand people not wanting to commit. They, you know, unless you see the creature doing it or, or, or have it on film making the noise, it's hard to say what actually made the noise. So I've asked you about what sounds they might make. What about the way they smell? We hear about this a lot. The odor of, uh, of Bigfoot. Have you, have you caught a wolf, a whiff? Have you been downwind from one of these creatures? So I had an experience where uh, I was in a, a area where I was uh, I had a a stack of uh, uh, stones that I would change. My wife jokingly called it my chessboard, and I, I would go there and and the stack of stones kept changing. I, I, and over this is over the course of many many months, 
and uh, I was never sure if it was a person doing it or, or I, again, this is a, you know attributed Bigfoot behavior sometimes. It, they'll do these Karen stacks and, and change them around, and you can have a supposedly a sort of a interaction with them. And I went to that area one time. The, the time that convinced me that maybe, maybe it wasn't people, I was with my wife and my kids in that park, and they were walking in a different area. I walked up to see, you know, as my wife calls my chessboard and came back and met my wife on another trail. And she said, oh, I want to go see your chessboard. So I walked her up there and this is maybe 20 minutes later and it had changed very subtly. It was just a leaf was placed underneath one of the rocks, but uh, leaves don't fall under rocks. (laughs) And this is this is within 20 minutes. So Mm -hmm. if it was a person there, they are at the park as often as I am in there. They're as interested in changing this, uh, you know, as much as I am. But this, in 20 minutes, it was very strange. But I was there another time, and and as I was walking up, I was alone this time. I heard what I thought was probably rock clacks behind me as I walked up the hill to this area. When I got up there, I did um, the the hair on the back of my neck really stood up. I, I I'm there alone. I'm there alone a lot, so I'm not really afraid to be in the woods alone. But for some reason this day, I was terrified. Uh, really, fight or flight uh, kicked in, and, and it would have been flight except my knees were locked. I was, I was that afraid for, for no particular reason. And I did get the uh, sort of skunky, dead animal kind of smell rolled in. And knowing as much as I do about Bigfoot stuff, I really thought, well, this is, this is going to be a sighting here. I'm about to, about to have a sighting. And... Uh, heard another wood knock in the opposite direction and then a sound like clicking gears and it's very strange but that's the only thing I can I can uh, say it sounded like and it was almost in an instant all the the smell went away the the weird feelings went away the the frightened uh, frightened feeling went away so uh, I have smelled a smell <laughs> and I, again, I didn't see the creature, so I don't, you know, I can't say for sure it was the creature, but I, I have smelled a, a, that skunky kind of dead animal smell. Just going back to the, um, the history, uh, and the, uh, collection of newspaper articles in your book, Bigfoot in Pennsylvania. Um, were there any, I mean, I know this goes back to the 1920s. I'm trying to figure, yeah, the, even if a very young person would be, I guess, probably close to a hundred. So there wouldn't be a lot of witnesses around. Uh, but what about secondhand? Did you ever have an opportunity to speak to the children of an eyewitness, uh, grandchildren? Not, not from any of those articles. Um, I've, I've tracked some people down from uh, the 1970s uh, newspaper articles and stuff that I've met with locally and, and uh, have, in fact, become friends with them from, from other newspaper articles. But these old articles, I haven't been able to locate any relatives or anything. And presumably back in the 1920s uh, and earlier, these would be mainly rural, uh, rural people, farmers and so forth. What other type of witnesses were there? I mean, were there any, I don't know, county clerks, judges, firemen? It runs the gamut. There, there were, like I said, there were police officers. There were, uh, I, I'm sure there were county clerks. I'm, I'm um, trying to locate one here. The uh, one, the gorilla, as they called it, walked right into Gettysburg. So, um, 
And that wasn't well, the 16th those- president, although they used to make remarks about him, you know. <laughs> it's true. They, 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 because of his, so, uh, he, uh, he had incredibly long arms. I mean, the, the President Lincoln, they, people think that they, they go after Trump. They went after Lincoln the same way. Anyway, yeah, I, they did. I, I digress. I, I, I've noticed that in uh, <laughs> looking up these old articles that uh, he'll come up a lot in my searches. So a gorilla walks into Gettysburg. All right. But uh, this is 1921, August 9th. It's in again. After having passed out of the limelight several months ago, the well-known gorilla is back. It was in Gettysburg several nights ago, according to information from well-informed circles. It was not only seen but shot at. Whether or not it was wounded is not known, but it departed hurriedly from Lower New York Street in the direction of Biglerville. Not long ago, a woman residing on York Street saw a strange object about four feet high moving along the fence in the rear of her house. It is said, and being alone, she rushed to the place next door seeking help. The man of the house secured a shotgun. He too saw the beast. He fired. The gorilla dropped to the ground. Thinking he had bagged his game, the gunner went toward the fallen animal. With only a few feet away, the beast jumped up to its hind legs and chased the man into the house, residents of that part of town declare. Those who ventured to look out say the animal disappeared in the direction of Biglerville. In fact, they declare an examination of the ground in a field nearby revealed footprints of a strange beast. A number of York Street residents have oiled shotguns long obscured, and a second visit by the beast to that part of town would probably result in fatally for it. Others believe the animal by this time has returned to the fastness of the mountains. So York Street is the main street through Gettysburg. So right. here we have an animal that basically walked into town, and uh, that was only five feet high. So this is some of those gorilla sightings reported the the animal seven eight feet tall i think it was a group of these creatures that kind of moved through pennsylvania like i said 19 20 21 you can almost follow it on a map from town to town as they kind of move through the state fascinating i mean aside from the the incredible you know these confrontations with these magnificent animals uh the other thing i'm taken taken by is just the um the way that they wrote back then just the just a, a wonderful uh, rhythm and and uh, cadence and everything to their writing don't you think oh i absolutely love it yeah that's why in the books i you know i reprint the articles as they were there's something really just special about those old articles so, uh, how do folks get a copy of Bigfoot in Pennsylvania, a history of wild men, gorillas, and other hairy monsters in the Keystone State? Amazon's fine. I know people are very kind, and they always want to know if, if uh, it's okay to get it from Amazon. The The Amazon split for independent authors is, is very fair. So, if it's easy for you to get it from Amazon, get it from Amazon. If you want to get it directly from me, get a signed copy. You can find me at strangefamiliars.com. All my contact information should be there. Well, that's the way to do it, folks. You want to get the autographed copy. So, it's strangefamiliars.com. Strangefamiliars.com. And uh, you got an autographed copy right there. Excellent. Timothy Renner, what a pleasure. I learned a lot. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye for now. Well, it's just about time to dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs and then head on up the stairs to the old Schlafensack. But before that, I want to give you a heads up on what's coming up next on Conspiracy Unlimited. Before that, just a reminder about our weekly contest. Every Friday, I draw a name from a list of emails that I receive, and the winner receives a copy of my Strange Planet CD, Volume 1 or 2, sometimes both. Here's what you need to know to get in on the action. Rate and review this podcast, and then grab a screenshot of that 
and email it to me at richardserrett1 at gmail.com. Richard Serrett, S-Y-R-E-T-T, the numeral one, at gmail.com. Don't forget to include your name and mailing address in the email. They all go into the enormous uh, cheese puffs jar, and every Friday I draw a name, and uh, as I say, that lucky winner receives a copy of my Strange Planet CD, Volume 1 or 2, and in some cases I feel generous and I send out uh, both volumes. All right. So February is marching on, and I'm wondering, is weight loss still on your wish list? Unfortunately, the commitment to weight loss often fades. Many people simply give up in the first 90 days. The key is having the right mindset. Getting thin and staying that way lies in our thought processes, and hypnotherapy can make all the difference. Now, clinical hypnotherapist Dr. Steve G. Jones has created a set of five audio hypnotic sessions that apply the power of hypnosis to reprogram the mind and replace bad habits with vibrant, positive new habits and help you achieve natural and long-lasting weight loss. Weight loss hypnotherapy really works, and it's available now at a special discount. Isn't it time to lose those extra pounds? Check out weight loss hypnotherapy right now at smartclicksavings.com. That's smartclicksavings.com. Coming up next on Conspiracy Unlimited, The Paranormal Power of Pets, with veterinarian Dr. Carol Osborne. Until next time, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.